I want to tell you a scary, scary story of the most terrifying thing that happens to every writer at some point in their writing career and occasionally sprouts back up during it. No one is immune. No one, even experienced, published, best-selling authors can fall to the greatest curse of our kind. A pandemic that has never been geared for writers and can only be dealt with by attention and probably the aid of a supremely good copy editor and a little bit of a divorce from your ego, which for a writer is, is occasionally like cutting out one of your lungs. I'm talking about the dreaded, the terrifying, the ominous hand of the writer. Now, the hand of the writer goes by a bunch of different names. Uh, we talk about the hand of the writer, or for some of you, you may be aware of this is what I lovingly refer to, and a lot of other nerds of my ilk do, as plot armor. Um, the hand of the writer, for the uninitiated, is the tendency of a writer in a piece of literature or, or whatever they're working on, plays, movies, to decide, I need this to happen. I haven't made it happen it's not really story justified or anything else, but I need it to go down. So it's going down because I say so. And suddenly, within your, within your reader's imagination, as they read your whatever, the hand of the writer descends and picks that character up and moves them and, and shapes things. And it's very obvious that it's the hand of the writer, and it takes you out of what you're reading. I don't care whether this is fantasy or science fiction, even nonfiction. Like, this is that tendency within plot to evade logical flow and progression and force it together. Plot armor is one of many iterations of the hand of the writer by which a character is kept amazingly alive. Uh, without risking being sued, there is a fairly well-known fantasy series that was a TV series that is guilty of this a lot. Um, as much praised as it is for, oh man, look, that new character, he showed up and then he died. Right, but characters that possibly should have died six times over are magically protected because we need to. Like I said, this happens to everybody. I do this too. I, I need my copy editors I need people that I trust to read my work to keep me from doing the hand of the writer thing because it's so damn tempting because it's so convenient. That's why the hand of the writer is so prevalent. It's so convenient to say, I don't want to figure out the logical steps to get character from point A to point B. I'm going to get character from point A to point B by the shortest method, which is to pick them the hell up and put them on point B. And, and it's tempting because it can be done and because it's so similar to what we're doing anyway, right? Because I can hear a couple writers going, well, Matt, I mean, okay, the hand of the writer, that's what I'm doing when I craft a plot. Yes, it is. The difference is, are you showing the hand to your reader? Right? To create a narrative, to create a story, to create a logical reason for a character or a circumstance or anything within the scope of your plot to happen is fine. To be lazy and not do that and just get everything where you need to get it? Yeah. Yeah, 
It's it's not. Guys, like, look, these are 1970s comic book endings, okay? Again, I'm really trying hard not to be sued, so I'm trying not to name drop stuff I'm going to rag on. And I'm a comic book guy, so I love 1970s comic book endings. But you can't lie, when you go back and read them, they kind of magically end really quickly, you know? Lots of writers have problems sticking the landing, and so that's when the that's when the hand of the writer pops up, right? Like, okay, got to wrap it all up. Here's the MacGuffin, and here we go, right? The MacGuffin is a device of the hand of the writer, right? If you have a world that's dangerous, if you have a world that's dangerous and people die in it all the time, then you have to somehow justify why some people have not, Right? If you have a need for a character to go somewhere, then that character has to have a motivation and a reason to go there. If the only reason they go there is because you need that confrontation to happen, you're hand of the writering it and you're really screwing up. Look, guys, I am one of the most guilty of this, especially when I was a younger writer. Holy crap. I had so much ego, I thought I could put characters wherever I wanted them to be. I could do whatever I needed to do, hand of the writer, kiss my butt, here we go. That was literally my logic, and it was terrible. I wrote some stuff that was pretty good, but would have probably been great if I had just pulled my head from my rear and stopped, you know, just just forcing the MacGuffin, putting in the plot armor, picking up characters at point A and go, here you go, here's point B, just hang out for a minute, I'm going to get the other characters here, and then you can have that dramatic scene. It doesn't work that way. But the worst part is you can get away with it. You can. Like, you can do it, okay? Here's here's what I'm telling you. Don't do it, but can you do it? Yeah, you totally can. You absolutely can. And and the reason I say you absolutely can is because, I mean, look, I'm, I'm mentioning books and writers that are really, really clearly, you know, really, really clearly famous, bigger than I am, and they do it. And, and if you like that, Goody, goody gumdrops. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't. I don't like it. You shouldn't like it as a reader either. Nothing bothers me more than, than ye old MacGuffin, right? Nothing bothers me more than ye old MacGuffin. Or plot armor. God, I'm horrible about plot armor. I hate it. It will turn me off of a book. The minute I know it's there, I get really upset. Because here, here's the thing, right? I can, I can, I can, the usual objection to this is, but Matt, what does it matter if we're crafting narrative and story? Because hand of the writering it is not crafting good story. Using the hand of the writer is being lazy. I get the temptation. Now let me talk to you about the three most common temptations to use the hand of the writer. And then I'm going to talk to you about three ways you can avoid the hand of the writer. Because I've kind of gone on a little bit about what it is. And the point of all of these like writing lessons that we've been given is, is to give you some practical advice on this. So I'm, I'm going to give you that. This is the last time we're going to talk about plot. So, you know, we've talked about subtext. We've talked about letting character drive plot instead of forcing character into plot. So now we need to talk about the hand of the writer. So let's talk about the three most egregious egregious, egregious error, the three reasons, I don't want to say egregious errors, I mean, I, I look, if you can't tell, I really hate Hand of the Writer, I hate it when I do it too. Um, the three biggest reasons people do the Hand of the Writer, okay, so one 
reason people do the hand of the writer. They feel like the plot's getting long. This happens a lot. You write and you write and you write. And you start feeling, oh my God, this is getting really long and I've got to take care of this. So I'm going to make stuff happen. This, by the way, is what happens with badly stuck endings, right? If you have a writer that you read who can't stick the landing, this is why. Because the book has gone on way too long in the beginning, way too long in the middle, and they have to end it, right? Or they're staring at an ending going, oh my God, this is going to get really big. This is this is what I call the 70s comic book ending, right? Which is that some of those stories in the 70s were amazing. They were really well written. But then we got to like the last issue and we're like, oh, we got to end it because I don't have another like 20 issues to finish telling the story. So here we go and we're done. Um, and it happens in novels too. We all know at least one writer who can't stick the landing. And, and we may enjoy their writing, but you got to be able to stick that landing. And that's why that's one reason is the plot's gone on too long, right? So that's one. The, the plot's gone on too long and you need to get this sucker wrapped up. Right. And that's it. Uh, point two. And, and this is the one that, that I refer to when I say plot armor. Point two is you have a character that needs to get somewhere that needs to be there. They are vital, but that character is not really a character so much as a plot point. Ah, you thought I was going somewhere different. No, I mean, look, the reality is you haven't created a character. You've crafted a plot point. And the plot point needs to make it to the end. So you are guilty of that previous thing we talked about, not letting characters drive the story, but letting the plot and then just ham-fisting characters into it. Uh, you've created a character who's a plot point, and so you need to protect that character. And so anytime that character theoretically might die or, or be injured or be subject to some kind of turmoil that might derail them from where we need them to be, we get them through it really quickly. This happens in all literary forms. It's really bad in the fantasy and sci-fi genre. Like, it's really prevalent there. We got the one guy who should have been dead 90 times, but we've got to keep him alive so magically bullets don't hit him. Um, we Pulp Fiction that every five minutes. See, I'm going to drop that one because I'm not ragging on Pulp Fiction. You know, Jules and Vincent standing there, the hand cannon goes off. None of the bullets hit him, and that happens every other chapter in those books. That's plot armor. Um, it can also happen though in regular literary fiction when a character is just kind of blah, like just magically kind of gets through everything until we get them to the end where then we're going to break them. Right. Um, because that's going to be dramatic. It's also lazy writing, but it's cause you turned a character into a plot point. So point one plots too long. Point two, you turned a character into a plot point, right? What's point three? Oh, point three, the greatest of all great writing sins. You're preaching, right? Point three is you're preaching. The, the three most common reasons this happens is one, too long a plot. Two, character's a plot point, not a character. Three, you are preaching. You are not writing a story. You are not pushing a narrative so much. You're not even being really challenging. You have a thingy to say, and we are going to hear it. You have a thingy to say, and by God, we are all going to hear your thingy. And you are going to tell however you have to. It doesn't matter. That thingy's getting said. That's a problem, right? That's when we start seeing the hand of the writer because you've got a thingy that needs to get talked about. You've got a thingy that needs to get talked about, and so you are pushing that agenda. And the hand of the writer appears because your agenda has not been pushed enough. That's it. That's, that's bottom line. That's what it is. 
Bottom line, that's what you're doing. You know, you, you want to say, okay, well, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about Stoic philosophy, and I want to talk about Stoic philosophy a lot, and I want to talk about racism, and I want to talk about uh, democracy and how wonderful democracy is, as opposed to oligarchy. And instead of figuring out a story that engages those elements and letting the story unfold in a plot, you have decided that we are going to hear that. And your characters then turn into little expositionary devices. They start getting the voice of the writer. Suddenly they're explaining stuff that we really don't need to hear. You know, like it's, it becomes really involved. We start getting like economics and philosophy and government lessons. Uh, you know, we're, we, the characters start to sound really self-righteous. All kinds of stuff happens. That happens because of this error. Those are the three ways. Great, Matt. You just shot me in the foot and told me there are three reasons I'm going to do the hand of the writer. How do I avoid doing the hand of the writer? Well, let me give you three ways to avoid those. So error number one was your plot's too long, right? Cut the fat. That's first one. First rule, cut the fat. Not every scene and the thing you wrote, this is why you should go through draft after draft after draft. Not everything you wrote is as necessary as you think it is. That six and a half hour chapter that just crawls where you described in great detail the working of a machine may not be doing you any favors. And it's going to force your hand at the end because you're going to have taken up all this space on all this world building. And hey man, world building is cool. Setting mood and story is great. But it's going to take so much time that when it's time to stick the landing, you're going to have much less time to do it. This is really dangerous if you're going to write like a thousand page novel, man, you better be able to stick that landing because the longer the book gets, the longer the book gets and the lazier the landing, the more angry we're going to be as your readers, the more angry. So that's, that's the thing, right? Just, just cut the fat, get somebody ready for your practical tip, find an editor. We talked about finding an editor earlier on in the series, find an editor. Not your best friend, not your girlfriend. Look, Marianne is awesome. I love my girlfriend to death. I would never give my girlfriend a draft and say, hey, what should I cut from this? Because everything I do is art to her. And that's awesome because that's frankly where I need my girlfriend to be. Uh, I need my precious little ego stroked every once in a while, guys. And that's what our people in relationships do. That's what mom and dad do. So find someone that will tell you this doesn't work. That's how you avoid that and then cut the fat. Yay, we figured that out. Step two. We talked about plot armor. How do we evade plot armor? Write characters. Don't write plot points, okay? A character can be critical to the plot, but if the character's real existence is because they're the hinge pin in this amazing, they're the linchpin in this amazing story that's going to be amazing, it's going to be this epic finale, and they have to be there, well, you better write a character that's going to make it. Don't write a weak character so you can kind of live out some fantasy and dance it around for a little bit and then woohoo, we made it to the end, end and they're in the position that they need to be. Don't do it. Write legitimate characters. Have action carry them through. Legitimate, interesting, engaging characters are going to be better than flat ones that you move through the scene so that you can get them to where they need to go. Just, just bottom line. Write a character, not a plot point. Right? If that character is so central to the story, they'd better be a fully fleshed out character, not just a plot point. How do you execute this step, you ask, Matt? With the amazing editor. 
again, I, like there it is. Use an editor. Find that person you trust. Find somebody to read. They don't need to be a professional editor. They need to be someone you trust to tell you bad news. Right? They need to be somebody that you would trust. You could hear the doctor tell them, by the way, you need to tell your friend they're going to die. I'm going on lunch. And could come into the room and tell you you're going to die. And if you don't have that person, go find them. Find an editor and have them tell you this stuff's too long and you got to cut the fat. This stuff's not necessary. And that's not a character. That's a plot point. And it's really obvious and they're really boring. And I roll my eyes to get through their stuff so that I can get to this amazing ending you promised me. And I'm going to be disappointed because you're just guarding a lousy character to get them where they need to go. Because they're not a character. They're a plot point. Part three. Your voice of the writer, right? You're sermonizing, you're preaching. Ready? How do you stop it? Editor. This is the ultimate use of an editor, right? If you get super preachy, then a good editor is going to be able to tell you, by the way, Matt, you have gotten really preachy. We don't care. Like, show me this in a story, illustrate this through concepts, have characters understand this, but literally you have a character acting as a hand puppet right now to explain to me every single little detail of your personal life philosophy that you think is super interesting but isn't. Right? That's the reality. If you're getting preachy, now here's the thing, sometimes some books can sound preachy, but you'd be surprised, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and just pluck one out that's generally in the consciousness, right? Fight Club sounds really preachy. It does. It has a tone of preachiness because we hear, you know, Fight Club logic, which eventually turns into Project Mayhem. And if you haven't read the book, just deal with that. You know, get out there and read. It's a pretty good book. But it deals with Project Mayhem and it's, you know, we need to, we need to fight this and we're going to fight the power and we're not special and we're not individuals, but we can be individuals. And the joke is he's not actually preaching because he's satirizing this counterculture revolutionary movement that turns into... an army of identical people with no names. That's the point. That's the point. Uh, So find an editor that can distinguish between those fine grades, because sometimes it sounds like you're preaching, but that's actually something being accomplished within the narrative. And it's not you just talking about it. The difference between that and you preaching is you preaching doesn't happen as part of the narrative and it serves no narrative device. It's just because you want to make sure that your reader who, by the way, you probably don't respect enough because you feel like you have to spell it out for them. Um, you, They have to get this point. And, of course, you're super brilliant and super smart, uh, so you're going to just tell them because they're too dumb to get it. Ding, ding, ding. I'm calling myself out for that because I did it a lot. Again, when I was a younger writer, I was smarter than all of you. That was my thought. So, that was fun. We just talked about the hand of the writer. We talked about reasons it happens and how to stop it. And we now know the great cure to the hand of the writer, a good editor, a good person to provide us the feedback we need to hear. Don't you feel better? I do. I certainly feel a lot better. So what, what can I give you to do in this time, in this, in this era, when we're working on our pieces of writing? What can we do? What can I do, Matt? I want you to think about the people you know. And I want you to come up with a list of three people you think would give you honest criticism. Look, you may not have a piece of writing to hand to them. If you do, hand it to them and see what comes back. See if they'll help you out. Like, hey, you know, we're all kind of stuck inside lately. 
Uh, could you help me out and read something and tell me what you honestly think? Don't be afraid to don't be afraid to tell me if you didn't like it. Like just let me know. Um, so that's your that's your assignment for the next time because we're back. We're we're here. We're running again. We'll have a new episode up next week. Take the time and write out a list of people that will be honest with you, that will be honest editors for you. Find three people in your life that you think could be honest editors and and get that out to them, okay? It's that easy. Because I promise you, like a really good editor giving you good feedback will keep this from happening. The hand of the writer is a terrifying thing. No one wants to be called out for it. Get a good editor. Get a good editor who'll just share with you what you think. Because remember, guys, writing is communicating. You can think it's awesome and brilliant, but if your reader's not getting it, then you're failing at your job. Point blank, nice and easy. All right, everybody, so that was it for plot. Uh, Next week, we're going to start talking about language. We're almost done. We're actually getting really close to the end of these. Uh, This course, if you stuck with me, thank you. If you bore with me during my month absence while my world got super crazy and then more crazy stuff happened, thank you again. Um... We're back. We're running. We're here. Uh, that's that's what we're going to do. We're also potentially, I had, a, I had a friend of mine talk about, they'd love to hear me do a similar class on playwriting. So let me know. If you think we should do another class on playwriting, let me know. Otherwise, uh, that's been Confessions of a Working Writer for this week. Next week, we'll talk about language. We've talked about plot. If you haven't been keeping up with the podcast, this is a great time to go back and listen to new episodes and, and just kind of catch up on this writing course. I think it's 20 minutes on average per episode for this, so it's it's not going to take you long. It's basically a writing course done in like a few hours total by the time we're done. So take the time. Think about it. Anyway, uh, glad to be back. Go out and find those three people you can trust. Just think about them. Just brainstorm and come up with a list of three people you think you can trust to give you honest feedback on a piece you did. And look, it doesn't mean it can't be your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You just need to have someone who's going to be able to deliver you bad news. And if they can't do that, then then you need to go to somebody else, okay? All right. Get out there. What are you talking to me to? Right. Go do something. Seriously, I need to go do stuff. Why am I still talking to you? All right. I'll see you all next week.